AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for September 29th, 2015. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. I'm joined today by Jim Clausing on the line and Joe Harton with me here in the studio. I'm Manny Ortiz, and actually two, two weeks in a row I am host, so. Oh, you're doing a great job. Uh, thank you, thank you. Look out, Brian. <laughs> I don't think he has any competition. So no, no, I don't think so. So I think we're gonna we're gonna start today's show off uh, with a, with a segment I think that we've uh, brought in fairly new. Um, it's the, the tool talk, uh, and I think Jim, you're gonna be uh, taking us through uh, a tool today. Yeah, I will. Thanks, Manny. Today, as our entry in what's in your toolbox, uh, I wanted to talk about one of my forensic tools. Um, some of you are, may be aware that one of my jobs here at AT&T is doing forensics and uh, one of the tools that I really like for that is log to timeline. Digital forensics and incident response as we know it today really came into existence about 1999 and one of the primary tools that we like to use for that is we like to develop a timeline, try to figure out what happened on uh, a compromised system when, so we can figure out what the bad guys did on there. Dan Farmer and Vitsi Venema uh, created the Coroner's Toolkit, which they released uh, in 1999, um, and then Brian Carrier uh, extended that and created the, the Sleuth Kit in about 2003, and that's the primary open source toolkit used by a lot of folks doing um, digital forensics and incident response these days for doing file system type forensics. In 2010, Christian Gudjensen, uh, I hope I didn't butcher his name too badly, uh, from Sweden, wrote Log to Timeline for his um, GIAC GCFA gold paper. And basically the idea with log to timeline is we have these tools, you know, from going back to the coroner's toolkit and the sleuth kit for doing file system, generating file system timelines. So you can see what files were created, modified, and so forth at what particular time. But there's a whole lot of other data on the system that has timestamps embedded in it. And so the idea of log to timeline is let's get some of that log data or some of that other data on the system that has timestamps in it and add that into the timeline, create what, uh, what Kristen called uh, a super timeline, which has got not only file system timestamps, but also log data interspersed within there so you can see, see what exactly happened on the system. Now, Kristen created Log to Timeline in 2010. In 2012, uh, he actually uh, created a project called Plazo, which is uh, an extension and a rewrite of 
of um, log to timeline in Python. Uh, I'm actually going to talk about the, the legacy version, the Perl version today, because I frankly haven't had enough time to play with the Python version. Uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to do that in the next couple of months and maybe I'll do another of these what's in your toolbox on the Python version later on. Yeah. Basically, as, as I said, log to timeline is a tool that will search through a file system and parse out various types of log files uh, so that it can extract timestamps and stick that information into into your super timeline. Um, here you can see just a, a small sample of the of the various parsers that are available in log to timeline. Uh, it can parse Apache access logs, Apache error logs, Chrome history files, uh, Windows event logs, EXIF metadata from you know pictures on the on the file system. Firefox bookmarks, so forth. All kinds of stuff in here. So basically, the way you create a super timeline is, in, in this case, this I'm taking this from an actual case that I did a few months ago, uh, where we had a compromised server in the Pacific time zone. And you run, the, in this case, it was a Linux box. So you run log to timeline, the dash F switch, uh, says use only the Linux filters, so look for syslog data, you know, browser histories, that kind of stuff. Output it in Mac time format so that we can create a, a timeline that is pretty standard format. And write it to a file called l2t.body in this case. Give it the time zone that all of the dates are in um, and and have it actually operate on the file system that we've mounted at slash mount slash image. The next few lines are creating the standard file system timeline using FLS from the sleuth kit, and I'm not really going to talk about that too much here today. I'm not going to talk about how you do the file system uh, timeline stuff. That's maybe on another episode, but for now those FLS lines in the middle are just creating the file system portion of the timeline. Then by catting them together into a combined body file and feeding that to MacTime and giving MacTime the proper time zone so that everything lines up properly, and also putting in uh, the password and group files from from the uh, system, everything will show up in this in this combined timeline, showing the you know the log entries interspersed with file system entries and proper ownership and group for the files. Hey Jim, so how does how does the how does this tool handle um, sort of normalizing time across logs? Does it does it do that? It is basically what you do is you pass. Uh, to log to timeline when you're initially creating the body file, the uh -huh. time zone the, that the system is running in. If, if there is some skew, if you know that the clock is off, 
but the, you know the particular system was sitting in California, so it was running in Pacific time, but the clock hadn't been synced to an NTP source or anything, so that the clock was off by, you know, 43 minutes. There's actually a skew value that you can pass to log to timeline to adjust that so that it matches up properly. Okay. Okay. But it, it takes the timestamps however it finds them on the file system. So you have to tell the tool, you know, normalize it by telling the tool what time zone things are taking place in and if there's any if there's any clock skew on the system. So just the the body file that got created for the file system, this is a quick shot of that. It shows the the name the inode number, the permissions, and so forth. As I said, not going to go into a lot of detail on that here. The log to timeline body file is a similar format, but rather than the file name, it gives the file entry, and then it puts zeros in, you know, in the field that would correspond to like inode number, for example. Then it puts the Linux timestamps in so that when we generate the body file, it can, you know, sort it into the proper place and intersperse it with the, with the file system entries. So here's an example from that case that I worked of somebody successfully SSH'd into, into the system and modified the Etsy cron.hourly file dropped or cron.hourly directory dropped some malware in etsy cron.hourly in slash root and slash bin and in slash lib and all of those happened in the same second I guess that got cut off at the top here the the timestamp the exact second year month day hour minute second that this all occurred is actually on the line that's just off the top of, of this snapshot. I guess I should have done that a little better. But the, the nice thing about generating this sort of super timeline is you, know, you can see exactly when the bad guy logged in and then what changes occurred on the file system you know, right after they logged in. So you can, you know, nearly definitively tie these particular actions to this particular you know, login session and to this particular bad guy. So that's that's just a, a quick look. There there's a lot that can you that you can do with these what they call super timelines. Um, but log to timeline is a really nice tool that um, that I've come to rely on in my forensic investigations. And it is open source, so you can get it. Um, the URL um, where you can get the the current version uh, is on the screen. It's also included as part of the uh, SIFT workstation that uh, a lot of folks use that's uh, distributed uh, as part of, by SANS, uh, they use it when they're teaching forensics, so it's pre-installed on there. So, anyway, so that's what's in my toolbox for this week. 
So a quick question, Jim. So uh, uh, a tool like this, when you're doing forensics, is there is there another tool that you would use? So so this is actually collecting um, logs, right, uh, off of the off the machine that you're doing forensics on. Is there a is there another tool that you would use, sort of as an overall forensic timeline, or is this the tool? This is pretty much the tool that I use. I okay. I use a number of other scripts and tools to generate the body files, that's the, the format that um, actually Farmer and Venema initially came up with the body file format. And there are a lot of tools out there that, that can be used to generate things in body file uh, format. So I'll use a, a number of tools uh, to generate the body files to feed into MacTime to create this uh, the super timeline. Something that I've been looking at but haven't haven't actually um, had the time to to dig down in and get it to the point where I can use it in an investigation would be to feed feed this stuff into uh, Elasticsearch or um, or Splunk if you know somebody's got the money to do that, where you'd have all of the timeline data and the log data and you know whatever wherever else you can get timestamps in where you can drill down um, in in sort of a graphical interface you know, using something like Elasticsearch. Um, that's something that I have high hopes for just haven't had the time to to work it out yet and hopefully right. Manny you'll give me the time to work on it here in the next that's few right. Weeks. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, thank you, Jim. So I guess we'll uh, we'll move into a, a couple stories that we've got here. Um, the first story that we'll talk about here actually is a story that I ran across. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to pronounce this correctly. So, Odd Lenore is uh, is this new malware that's out there that's uh, targeting uh, uh, online poker. I think we've talked about probably on this show many different types of malware out there. I just thought that this one was sort of you know, in a category all by itself, just because of what it was going after. So, um, I, I would say that this is not your not your mama's malware, right? So, um, it basically targets online poker players, specifically in two different uh, online uh, online sites, uh, Poker Stars and Full Tilt Poker, which I think are probably two of the most popular ones out there. Um, the malware itself is called uh, Win32 slash uh, Spy, I think it's Spy dot uh, uh, Odd Lenore. Um, it, uh, it basically it masquerades as, a, as a, a, a benign installer for various general purpose programs. So they, they basically are hiding the, the malware within files that, um, um, that People who are playing online poker may go after like uh, poker stats, you know, programs that, that keep track of poker stats and stuff. So they'll embed it in, in those files. Obviously, you know, they're trying to go after that target with who they believe would be playing some of these because that's okay. that's the, the the thing with this one is you got to find the people who are actually on these sites right. playing. Otherwise, this malware is not going to do much for you. So it is targeted. It is targeted. Okay. Although I think uh, later we'll see that 
that, uh, and I'm not actually sure if I covered it here, but later you'll see that they've actually modified this a little bit. You know, of course, they're going to modify the malware yeah. a little bit to actually do a, a couple of other things other than just the online poker stuff. But huh. um, basically what it does is this malware, um, once it's, once it's uh, infected the, uh, the host, um, it, uh, it basically takes screenshots. It takes screenshots of the target player's hand while they're playing on one of these online sites. Um, and, and obviously, it's going, to, it's going to not only send back via, uh, via post uh, requests, it's going to send back to the, the guy who's actually running the malware. It sends back screenshots as well as the player ID, because you're going to need the player ID right, right. in order to figure out how to get into the game of the, the host that you're trying to now, you know, basically con out of some money, uh -huh. right? So, um, so it sends you back those, and, and, and it's, it's going to constantly send you back screenshots so that you're getting, you know, the most recent hand that you're now playing against. So it sort of gives you an unfair advantage against one player. Obviously, you're going to have other players within that room with you, but at least against that one player, you're going to be able to take advantage of that. So now, um, I, I think what I was saying before, some of the newer versions now actually include a little bit more. So the, the original versions, all they did was just try to take those screenshots and send them back to you. Those new, the newer version now actually does a little bit of trying to steal some more information from that, from that target computer or the, the target device um, uh, and bring those back. So, so. is the, the person running the malware, is it automated action or does there actually have to be someone sitting picking up these screenshots and making decisions based on the screenshots. Yeah, so once, oh. you, once you've got so that's, a... That's yeah, fairly one, unique for malware, right? Usually malware is sort of automated reaction, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, you know, so what you're going to, what you're going to be doing is when you're, you're on the other end, and I, I, I haven't tried this myself. You're not right? running malware? No, I'm not, no, run, I'm not running malware? this malware, no. <laughs> Although, I, probably with, uh, with my poker <sighs> skills, I probably should get something You'd like be this. All right. to, yeah. Yeah, it helped me, it helped me you out. Got a poker face. Yeah, especially I'm playing against you. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. I'm <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it's going to send you back. I'm assuming it's going to send you back constant screenshots. So you're yeah. just going to sort of have to move through the screenshots as you're playing, and you're going to be able to match it up, obviously, against your live right, screen. Right. So I, I think that's what you're going to be doing is sort of matching <laughs> it up and saying, oh yeah, I'm on the right screen here. I can see what his hand is. So. So there's a couple more. The, the, the command and control is actually hard-coded um, in the binary and communicates via HTTP. And, uh, and as I said before, the screens, the screenshots and the, the, the credentials, which you know, either the, the, the player ID or some of the credentials that are not, the later ones are actually stealing, are sent via the, the post requests. Now, and is this something that poker stars and full tilt would patch, or is this? What's the? I mean, it's a little no, different. because because the files that the files that are infecting these folks are have nothing to do with with either one of these sites. Oh, okay. Right. So they they're not providing any kind of any kind of um, executables to to these players. They're being infected by something else. So I don't think that there's anything that Poker Stars or Full Tilt so Poker could do. So what is actually, the the action here? Is go to a casino and gamble live? 
where you know that's, that nobody's... That's certainly one solution is to, yeah, go live and, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, otherwise, Somebody might be looking at your cards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, otherwise, try to stay away from downloading files from, you know, the normal thing. Yeah. Don't download files from places that you don't, you know, right. know about, you know, because that's where this is, this is coming from. You know, you obviously have to infect yourself first before they can actually take advantage of this. So, cool. um, and then the last thing here was that the, the, the largest number of detections were coming from Eastern European countries, which was interesting. So uh, cool. the next story that we've got up uh, here, I think is, uh, is, this, is this yours, Joe? It is, yep. Okay. So as Jim mentioned about his day job being forensics, my sort of day job is building a uh, threat analytics data platform. Uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about um, the area of machine learning and predictive ana analytics, uh, both computer world and inside big data, which is a website. Um, they had some stories recently about machine learning and the capabilities that machine learning, which is a new technology and, and the ability to be predictive can help with cybersecurity. So uh, machine learning looks for patterns in data, uh, enabling people to make informed decisions and predictions and the way that the security industry and big data is going, we're, we're getting more data, we're getting more advanced adversaries, and the ability to automate and predict uh, actions within our data is becoming more and more critical. So, you know, machine learning is the ability to, it allows you to train an algorithm. So it's almost like, uh, you know, learning and building a profile, uh, as you might see in other tools. And this is the type of thing that we're trying to integrate within our platforms and and you know get less get more away from the days where we have to have manual interventions you know yes you know we have to have manual intervention at the end of the train to identify exploits but uh, we also need to be able to build some intelligence within the platform um, yep. you know machine learning should help with this and it should make detection more rapid it should make the discovery of new attack vectors a possibility with automated algorithms. Um, it should provide faster identification and correlation of anomalous behavior. You know, it, it, it's the type of thing that can help with user behavior analysis. Uh, you know, there was a case in one of the articles about predictive analysis being used to detect fraud in IRS tax filings. And they used an algorithm to, to look at the source of the filing to you look at the amount of the return and they were able to reduce the fraud by you know in the order of billion, uh, millions so you know that's that's a big problem and, and that's just one of the cases where something like machine learning and being predictive can help uh, so you know I just wanted to bring bring this to our attention that you know as we're going to big data you know you know we're not we're not in this alone we need to be building intelligence in and we need to react to smarter adversaries and difficult missions, and all that's going to require automation. So, uh, you know, I, I think machine learning and predictive analysis will be the tools to help us get a little bit farther down the chain before we actually have to get, you know, get our manual intervention in place. So, well, I, I know at least me for one. Um, really wished that the IRS would have oh, yeah. taken advantage of a little bit of more predictive yeah, analysis. Yeah. I wouldn't have been in the predicament that I was in, uh, unfortunately. But, yeah, man, he actually yeah. had that situation <laughs> happen to him. So, so yeah, that would have been that would have been good. The 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 one thing though is, 
I, I think maybe sometimes gets lost with this is that, you know, this is great. I, I love that this is coming and, and certainly we're moving forward into this into this space. Um, but it, it also sometimes when it, when you when you look at this stuff, you think, oh, well, everything's going to be honky dory. This all is going to take care of itself. Right. This thing's going to be able to do everything by itself. And that's not quite the case. You, there is still some there is still some sort of manual work on the yeah. analysts part Absolutely. in order to sort of steer this thing in the right direction. It's not like, you know, you flip the switch, you turn it on and all of a sudden, you know, this thing starts learning everything. It's it's along that lines, but it isn't, you know, it isn't that sort of flip the switch and everything, you know, all of a sudden it, tell, it starts telling you everything. You sort of have to, first of all, feed it the right data. Right. And then point it in the right direction. You know, you're sort of saying, well, you know. Well, you have to make, you know, make the final decision or, or make the, the remediation action or, or develop the rules to decide what those remediation, remediation actions are. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. You know, I, I don't think uh, machine learning is a silver bullet. I think we need smart right. analytics and, and analysts and humans at the end of the chain, you know, deciding what a false positive is and deciding what new intelligence needs to be fed into the system. So I, I totally agree. I mean, it's you know, part of why you know, I think it's important to participate in this community is that we all need to be aware of what the security threats are. And hopefully, we're building that intelligence into our, our platforms, as well as we're using that intelligence to react to it at the human level. Right. So. Yeah. right. The, the, the key thing here is you, know, you want to automate away as much of the of the repetitive stuff as you can, but you know you still have to teach the algorithms what is you know expected behavior, what's anomalous behavior, so that it can you know and and help steer it along. Skynet Absolutely. has not yet gone online. Right. <laughs> We're getting close, though. Yeah. We're getting close. <laughs> might be something we have to start worrying about in the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I think, uh, I, I think that actually wraps up to today's show. So, uh, so that's the show for today. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at uh, atttreattrack at list.att.com. Uh, you can find uh, ATT Threat Track on the AT&T Tech Channel, uh, YouTube, and iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is uh, at ATT Security. And, uh, and also, please don't forget to register to watch the AT&T uh, Cybersecurity Conference uh, in New York uh, or attend live uh, to meet AT&T Threat Track contributors. Um, that's going to be October 5th and 6th. Right? That's correct, in New right. York. Yep, absolutely. Um, so thank you, uh, Jim. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I'm Manny Ortiz, and we'll be back uh, next week with a new episode. Until then, uh, don't let the hackers win. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.